Back in 2008, I spent a summer working as a chaplain at a skilled nursing facility in Allentown, Pennsylvania. The place was called Phoebe Home, and this place was a wonderful, hospitable environment which tried to really create a culture of community and welcome among its residents. One day or one week, I was in this training for becoming a biter. Abiders were people trained by chaplains to be with people at their bedside as they were dying. These were volunteers, both residents from Phoebe Home and from the community, and the idea was not to be with the dying person 24-7, but instead to simply come at different shifts throughout the day to accompany the person for as long as you could, and then you went on your way. Frequently, the person in the bed was not communicative, but since we don't know just what someone is hearing and feeling, even as their life is slipping away, we still would be with them and sing hymns to them, read scripture. I know one chaplain who would offer Reiki. We'd all, you could also talk and tell the person how loved they are, that they were safe, that they could let go. Abiders training, like I said, drew people from Phoebe home itself, and that is where I met Lois. Lois was a resident of Phoebe home. She was in her 80s when I met her and walked with a cane. She was brusque and blunt, and she would cut to the point in the way that the Pennsylvania Dutch do so well. If you have ever been in Allentown, you know they do not mix sentimentality and sweet words. They tell you how it is. During one of the sessions learning about the dying process and what happens to people as they are dying, Lois piped in from her end of the table, sometimes I think I'm dying, so I figure, the heck with this, I'm going to bed. If I wake up, I'm wrong. <laughs> That's an actual quote. I wrote it in my journal in the moment. <laughs> Lois's approach to death was remarkable in how no nonsense it was. She was training to walk her friends into their death. She had already been with her husband and her parents as they died. Death for her was not some scary thing. It was part of her life. So she figured that if she wasn't dying at that moment, she might as well get a good nap out of it. Not all of us can be Lois. Death looms as a scary, yawning abyss in many of our lives. It's something we desperately flee from. It is something we want to avoid. We don't like to talk about death in our modern society. Indeed, we've very effectively banished it from most of our lives. Animals now get slaughtered in warehouses or far away on farms. People die in hospitals or hospice settings. Bodies get treated in funeral homes. This rarely happens in our backyard or kitchen table or parlor anymore. And there are great benefits to this shift, to moving death into cleaner, more professional settings where people know exactly what to do when. However, I do wonder if we've banished death so far from our lives that something has been lost. Simply, we often don't know what to say or do when we have to face death because we all, no matter where we're from or where we're going, will have to face death. And indeed, by exten extension, we don't always know how to face other moments of challenge, like diseases or disability. Indeed, I'm sure we have all gone through an experience of loss 
where good people, kind people, well-intentioned people come to our side and say just the wrong thing, just the thing we didn't want to hear in that moment. None of us want to be that person, and so we don't know what to say or do. We freeze up. And sometimes it is hard to know what to say or do, particularly if we are Christians who want to have faith. We can struggle with how to care for others while not embarrassing God, while not betraying our own faith. Indeed, most of us are so worried about saying the wrong thing at the bedside that we might end up chattering about the weather or about ourselves, and we just keep hearing the sentences coming because we can't figure out what to say. We can't figure out what we would say that could make all, everything better, that could make it all go away. Or maybe we don't even open our mouth. Maybe we get so paralyzed by the idea of saying or doing the wrong thing that we end up staying far away, avoiding our friend or loved one altogether. We don't know how to take away the pain, and so we run away, fleeing the very idea of disability or disease or death. Our scripture today shows us an example of how to care for a loved one in the face of pain and loss. Today we can learn a few things from three siblings who lived in the village of Bethany in first century Palestine. First, some context for this scripture today. In John, Jesus has been upsetting some pretty influential people so far. A chapter or two earlier, he brought Lazarus back from the dead and got the crowds talking, and now the authorities are out there looking for him, looking to arrest him and send him to trial and kill him in public. Jesus can no longer go about openly. He has to go into hiding And so he stays with close friends and his disciples in the village of Bethany, near Jerusalem. And yes, soon, next week, Palm Sunday, Jesus will come out of hiding. He will get a donkey and make the journey through the streets of Jerusalem, very publicly declaring his ministry and making his presence known. But this week, in our scripture, we have a different story. We have a story of friends hiding out in a room, caring for each other, caring for the one in their midst who is facing death. Let us listen to the word of the Lord. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the house of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you feel the tension 
Mary, Lazarus, and Martha are hosting their friend for an intimate dinner, while people outside their four walls are looking for Jesus, looking to arrest and kill him. In some ways, Jesus is a dead man walking already. He is facing the idea of his own demise. Most of us won't be in a situation of hosting or housing a political fugitive, a friend who's facing capital punishment, but most of us will have a friend who is facing pain and possible death. How do we as Christians care for someone in this situation, a loved one, a friend, or even a stranger without embarrassing God? We can look at the actions of these three siblings in this family here and learn a few different ways to offer care. First, we hear about Martha in this story. The ever stalwart and hard-working Martha, she only gets one line, but it is a significant one. She serves, she hosts. She serves dinner for Jesus and all his friends. And we can probably assume that Martha made the meal this is what Martha is good at. This is how she shows her love. She cooks, and in doing so, provides a space for her friends to rest, to recline at the table, to feel welcome and as relaxed as possible. And indeed, just a note, this doesn't mean that Martha is only good at cooking. Earlier in the story of Lazarus dying and needing to be healed, Martha comes to Jesus, and there she makes a very public profession of faith. She says, yes, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She's one of the few people to make that declaration of faith. And then a few days later, she is showing her love and her faith by making Jesus dinner, by creating a space of warmth and welcome, in the midst of his troubled days. Martha is saying, I care for you. You are worth my time and attention. I will make this meal because no matter what you are facing, your body is worth nourishing. Martha cares through her hospitality and her food. Second, we hear about Lazarus who is sitting at the table very close to Jesus. These rooms wouldn't have been very big, and the men traditionally ate meals together by reclining on their side. So you would have all of these dining bodies stacked up against each other, enjoying each other's close companionship. There was no way to avoid each other. And it's worth remembering that there are already people out there trying to arrest Jesus, and they are starting to whisper about Lazarus as well. His return is what started the crowds humming, and so the plot is out among the authorities to get Lazarus as well. It is getting more and more dangerous to associate with this Jesus of Nazareth. And indeed, Lazarus has already faced death once. Why would he want to risk getting close again? Yet Lazarus does not use this fear of death, this proximity to death, as a reason to avoid his friend. Jesus is getting closer and closer to death, and Lazarus is drawing closer and closer to him, dining with him, staying in his presence. Right now, Lazarus chooses to abide with Jesus, as much as Jesus will soon promise to abide with his disciples. Lazarus is saying, I care for you. 
You are worth my time and attention. I will stay at your side because no matter what you are facing, there is no place I would rather be. Lazarus cares through his presence and companionship. And third, we hear about Mary. Her way of caring is the most dramatic of all. She shows a shocking display of waste and impropriety, pouring out pure nard onto the feet of Jesus. In this day, this ointment was used to embalm bodies. It is the smell of the ritual of death. If Mary had this pure nard around, it probably was originally intended to anoint another loved one's body, her brother Lazarus. Mary has faced death, and it makes her not want to waste another moment. She doesn't want to pretend that death is a distant, far-off reality. She wants to confront it head-on. She wants to care for Jesus right here, right now. And so she pours out this expensive fragrance onto Jesus' feet. She wipes his feet with her hair, which is as messy as it sounds, but which also leaves no doubt about her deep love for this man, her teacher and friend. Mary will not wait another day. She will not hold back. Her friend faces death, and she will make sure he knows how much she cares for him right now, even if it embarrasses her. Mary cares through her messy acts of love. Judas, for one, cannot handle this. Judas lashes out at her. The editor says he does this because he is a thief, but I wonder if perhaps he might actually be more upset because this is all too personal. I wonder if he disapproves of this act of care because it is too extravagant and too intimate. Judas's words show us that he would rather push away the intimacy of this moment and focus instead on some vague and abstract idea of the poor. Judas wants to talk about people in generalities and abstractions the way we might find ourselves talking about the sick or the homeless, the Muslims, or those people on welfare, rather than getting to know people by name. Judas doesn't want to face this person in front of him right now, this specific person who right now needs care. Judas cannot handle how in-your-face this is, he cannot handle Mary bringing such a reminder of death right into the room, right into the middle of their meal. Jesus tells Judas to be quiet. And he uses the often quoted line, the poor will always be with you, which has been used in many different settings. But one commentator I read pointed out this probably refers to Deuteronomy 15, verse 11, where the scripture says, since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth. Therefore, I command you, open wide your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. Jesus is not shutting down care for the poor. He knows there ne something needs to be done for those who are needy. But in talking about some abstract idea of people, he's warning us not to overlook caring for the person who is right here, right now, in front of us. Mary, Lazarus, and Martha are facing the death of their friend, 
And so they are choosing to care for him in this moment with what they have. They're not trying to be, say the perfect thing or solve everything. They're trying to bring themselves into this room and offer the gifts they have. Mary, Lazarus, and Martha show us little ways of reaching out to each other, ways that go far beyond our usual attempts to either say the perfect thing or pretend that death and disease and disability don't actually exist. They show us how through hospitality and presence and abundant displays of love, we can care for each other no matter what we are facing. We head into Holy Week next week, and we will usher Jesus through the streets on Palm Sunday through these very streets. We will gather with him at the table during the Last Supper in this sanctuary, and we will walk with him during our Good Friday walk. And we'll also draw close to him when he is still emerging from the tomb on Easter morning. All of these acts of worship require that we face something we'd rather avoid. Death. Death is going to be talked about all through Holy Week. Perhaps we can let the reality of death remind us of the grace of life, a life that will have changes and endings and deaths, a life that does include faith-filled grief, but a life which also still offers us gifts of beauty and love and compassion, gifts that we should not take for granted. Indeed, one day we will see the vision fully of what happens beyond the grave after death. But until then, in the meantime, we can follow the examples of Mary, of Lazarus and Martha, of Lois and of countless others who chose to care by facing the reality of death and still choosing to follow Jesus. And so we try to follow Jesus. We try to feed and care for and abide with each other. We try to continue to pour out our love and time and attention in extravagant measures. We do all this because Christ has been among us and shown us what it looks like to love. May it be so. Let us pray. Lord, you've given us today. Give us the eyes and hands and hearts to see and care for you and for one another, to recommit our lives to following you wherever you may lead. In your holy name we pray. Amen.